So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation. He laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had directed through Moses. And I should probably not start with this comment, but I'm ordained. So I can coast. Um, But you know, I really don't like this story. I don't. I don't really like it. I I sat with this story at the beginning of the week and thinking, man, I am not pumped up to preach this message at all. Do you ever come across scripture like that? You're reading it and you're filled with anger and grief and sadness and confusion and maybe worry and maybe fear and you think, oh, I don't, this is not what I expected. Well, I've learned that Um, You can't just read scripture, one story, and then get your thought from that. Kind of like when you're on Facebook, you should click on the story and read the whole thing and not just the headline, just a friendly tip. That's how scripture is too. Because if I had just been stuck with this story, what right here, I would have thought, well, I got nothing to say. But as I read more, as I prayed, as I thought, what is this story trying to say? I moved from anger and sadness and confusion to trust. And I hope by the end of this, maybe you can start to trust a little bit more. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been journeying through this long, long journey with Moses and the Israelite people, that he was taking them from slavery into this place called the promised land. And we've been with them, we've been hearing them complain, we've seen them wander, we've heard them maybe take a few missteps. But we would probably do that same thing if we were in their situation. And maybe you're familiar with this story or maybe you're not, but even if you know this story, you kind of trick yourself into thinking, I cannot wait until the end. I cannot wait until they see the promised land. It is going to be incredible. It's going to be like Disney World, right? When they get there, they're going to have everything. There's going to be a parade. There's going to be music. They're going to crowd surf Moses in first so his feet can touch there so he gets to see it all firsthand. And then you realize Moses doesn't get to go. What? Surely there's, there's got to be a mistake in here. That, that can't be it. Who's this Joshua guy anyway? Who does he think he is? And then you realize that Moses did something. That Moses got punished and is not going to be able to go in. So many of you may not know the story, but back in Numbers 20, um, God says he's going to yield water from a rock. He's going to show his holiness. He's going to show his power. And Moses takes into account the grumbling and the quarreling of his people and takes in his own hand, isn't able to wait, doesn't really have that trust, doesn't really have that faith, takes his rod and strikes the rock twice and water comes forth. And when that happens, God says this to Moses, because you did not trust me enough to affirm my sanctity in the sight of the Israelite people, therefore you shall not lead this congregation in the land that I have given them. And when you read that, you think, Wait, what? After all Moses has done, all that Moses has followed and obeyed and and been griped at and grumbled at for years and years, it's 
Are you serious, God? Seems a little harsh. Kind of seems a little bit um, too much that he gets banned from the promised land because of that. And if you're like me, you, you read Numbers 20 and you think, well, maybe God will forget that he said it, right? You're like, maybe he'll just, oh, did I say that? I don't know. I forgot. But you know, as a parent, you don't really say, you know, you shouldn't say things. You shouldn't make kind of threats or things unless you're ready to follow through, right? Like when you're in the car, say no names, Scott. But often when we're on our way to small group, which I really look forward to every week, Andy loves her. She gets to play with her friends. I get to see some wonderful people. We get to talk. And inevitably, she kind of starts to throw a fit. And, I, and Scott sometimes will, it leaves his lips, and I just want to like grab it and shove it back in his mouth. He's like, Andy, if you don't straighten up, we're going to turn around. And I'm like, no, I want to go see my friend. Don't you ruin this for me, Andy, you know? And so you think about, okay, yeah, we don't really, if you say something, you should probably follow through with it. So we take from scripture that Moses was punished, that he wasn't allowed in. He had this consequence because he he didn't have faith or he he didn't trust. He took something into his own hands. And this is why I start to squirm and where I don't really like this story. Because I see that some really bad theology could start to come in. If you read that story, these are the kinds of questions that maybe pop into your head because they popped into mine. Can our whole life be determined by one mistake? If I make one wrong move or stumble a bit, does it set me back? Does it put me on a completely different path? Do I get personally punished by God? And am I not getting to the promised land because I don't have enough faith? So those questions began to pour into my mind. And if you think about, about those, if you dwell on them too much, you can kind of have a very different view of God. So I want to start with a, a couple points. I want to acknowledge that some situations aren't good. They just aren't. They're not good. And I would use a different word, but it's family worship day. But you know where I'm going with that. Things don't always work out. We wander in the desert. We, we put in all this time and then we still don't get that job in the end. We still don't get a positive pregnancy test. We don't get cured. And we have to be comfortable that even as trusting and faithful followers of Christ, that we can say, this is not fair that's okay. I think so many of us have been taught, well, I I learned so much. And yes, maybe you did. But that does not erase the pain. It does not erase the suffering. It does not erase the disappointment. And sometimes we can belittle or minimize our pain or someone else's. You don't have to do that. It's okay to say, this doesn't make sense. This isn't fair. And you can still be a person of faith. You can still be a faithful person. I think quickly we just want to appear that we're thankful and think, oh, okay, I guess this is, this is it. But it's okay to encounter the desert and then still not get the promised land and say, oh, this is not what I wanted. 
In other weeks, if you recall, um, Scott talked about when we encounter the desert, sometimes it's because of someone else's mistake or someone else's sin or being at the wrong place at the wrong time or simply the effects of a broken world or that our bodies are susceptible to diseases. See, being held back from the promised land is not always our fault. Being held back from the promised land is not always our fault. The other thing I see from this Moses story is this question of faith. And I know you might think, well, Reagan, it seemed like he didn't have faith and so he didn't get to go in. But I want you to put that, that thought to the side because if you've been a person of faith for any amount of time, you know what it's like to have dips in your faith. If you're lucky, it's just minutes or hours or days. But sometimes it's weeks. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes it's years. And we don't have a God that's sitting around thinking, okay, okay, gotcha. You don't have faith. I saw that. You doubted. You're out. You're disqualified. That's not how God works. We have seasons, we have moments where we don't believe, where we don't have faith, because it's hard. It's hard. My goodness, Mother Teresa, for years, felt like she couldn't feel her faith, that she didn't really have it. So we have to get it out of our heads that if we would have just believed more, or prayed more, or given more, or served more, maybe if we would have gone to that church down the street, that the promised land would be ours. See, receiving the promised land isn't always dependent on our actions or on who we are. I do want to pause and talk about how I don't believe that the desert or things like that are given grief or suffering. I don't believe that God ordains or sends grief or suffering to punish I believe scripture is too clear about this God who loves us, who has grace and mercy and who's always rooting for us and wants to move closer to us. We have a God that is for us. So God to be cruel, that's just not who God is. God is good. I believe that even on the days where it's really, really hard to. I also believe that God doesn't do horrible things, doesn't send us to the desert to teach us something. If God wants to teach us something, God can do it in a million different ways. Sending suffering or pain is not his teaching method. I believe that God works through so many people and situations, but heartache is not a preferred method. Again, that would change God's nature of being good. And I know that some people look at the desert time as, well, I, I was taught a lot, or maybe I'm just being t- tested. And some, for some, that's helpful. It is. Helps them put things together. But for some, that can be really painful. Especially if they don't get to the promised land. They think, well, what was that for? <laughs> I, bl- I know that it's easy to want to blame someone or something, to make sense of situations. We've all been there where we've shaken our fists and said, God, why, why? It's also tempting to say, well, everything happens for a reason or it must have been God's will. But we know that those phrases are incredibly damaging. 
and painful. And often people walk away from God because of phrases such as those. So we must be careful of what picture of God we are painting when we find ourselves in these deserts or when we find that we don't get to go to the promised land. And it's hard, especially when you're suffering. I actually came across this really good quote about suffering in Adam Hamilton, who's our Pope of the Methodist Church. <clears throat> it's making sense of the Bible. If you've got questions, this is a really great book to start looking at. But he has this newspaper clipping. He doesn't know where it came from. Some pastor gave it to him. It's from the 1950s. But it really resonated with me. Suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it, we may learn. Suffering is not given to teach others something, but through it, they may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our own sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it, our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering, his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or can add meaning to our life. And I love this quote, thinking about maybe the Israelites and how they probably felt like they suffered. They had been through so much. But I do hope that maybe they felt like they learned something Maybe just about themselves, maybe about God, that maybe their faith was strengthened, that something was accomplished, that the journey was worth it. But I come back to Moses again. I can't get Moses out of my head. He doesn't get to go to the promised land. So I go back to Numbers 20 where it all happened where he messed up. And I'm struck by a word that God says. Therefore, you shall not leave this congregation in the land that I have given them. Them. Did you notice how it doesn't say the land I've given you, Moses? And when we replay this story from the very, very beginning, when you think about when God first called Moses from that burning bush, he doesn't say, Moses, guess what? I'm going to take you to the promised land. Promised land was never for Moses. It was always for the people. It was always for the Israelites. So I've had to take that mindset that the promised land is never just for one person. It isn't solely for us. We are to be people that are putting others before us. We are to be looking for those who aren't here yet and those that are beside us and those that are behind us. The promised land can benefit so many when we realize it isn't about us. So I started thinking, how am I working for a promised land? A promised land that can be for all. How am I investing in, in students and children? How am I standing up for those who have no voice? Those who feel like are forgotten, those that are, that are being oppressed. Who is a Joshua in my life? What am I doing to make sure Joshua gets to the promised land? How can I lead? 
How can I embrace change in things that I know that are not for me, that I'll never benefit from, that maybe I don't even understand, but that are for people that get to come to the promised land? And I can tell you it's hard. It's hard to put your work and put effort into something that you never get the reward of. That's hard. Who likes to do that? Not me. It doesn't seem fair. But I think about my own daughter and how I hope that she gets to go into a promised land that I only get to dream about. Or I think about how I wish I could go to the females throughout history that so badly wanted to preach, that wanted to lead churches and never got to. But they continued to fight and to speak up and lead in whatever ways they could. Or to the first female United Methodist clergy, and I I wish I could say thank you. Thank you for working so hard so that I could be here today. Now let me be clear, we have not yet arrived But I'm so thankful for everything they did so I could be maybe a little bit more in the promised land or at least see it, a promised land that they never got to encounter. I also think about maybe a spouse that leaves a destructive marriage. And maybe they don't ever find love again. And maybe they even struggle financially And so they feel like, I never got to go to the promised land. But the kids, they got to be ushered into a promised land. They get to see what a healthy and happy home life can look like. They get to see what being strong and brave and standing up for yourself and making a hard decision, they get to see what that looks like. They get to experience in a promised land. Or what about someone that has cancer and they don't make it. But through a series of um, testing and results and maybe they're part of experimental drugs, whatever, doctors are finally able to figure out what does work. But maybe it was a little bit too late. But what they find, what they're able to do is bring healing and usher so many other people into the promised land. I understand some of those examples are a lot easier to swallow, which I go back to some things aren't fair. Some things just aren't good. I don't want to minimize that. But when I think about Christ and the suffering that he endured, things that he did so we could be ushered into a promised land, I think, well, what can I do What can I do on behalf of others? How can I push aside? How can I let others step in my place? What can I do to make sure people get into the promised land? So today, I have a question for you. Who's not here yet? Who has a long journey to get to the promised land. What are you doing to make sure people that you know, people that you don't know, people that you may never ever meet, 
get ushered into the promised land. Because after all, the promised land is not for you. It's for everyone. Let's pray. God, I find at times that I can be extremely selfish. And that I can make it about myself. I can hoard things. I can push others out of the way. And fear of my spot. And fear of what I get to accomplish, what I get to do. When really that's so opposite of your message. Make us people that are encouraging, that are stepping aside, that are pushing forth people. Because what matters more is that others get to go into the promised land. That our love is so deep, that we are broken for people, that we are moved to make sure all kinds of people make it in. Even if we don't. Would you open our eyes to those people? And may we continue to have trust. May we continue to have faith. Even when it doesn't always make sense. Thank you for leading us, for guiding us. For being patient with us and loving us. It's in your name. Amen.